I'm very, very happy to be joined today by Nick Cooper, CEO and Chair of Storega Geotechnologies. Um, some listeners may know the company that they acquired, uh, Pale Blue Dot, which oversees, and now Storega oversees, the ACORN project, which is a CCOS project off the east coast of Scotland. So Nick, that's my basic introduction of you. Can you give a bit more flavour about what you focus on and um, yeah, what's brought you to the podcast today? Alex, thank you very much for, for having us on the podcast. Uh, we're delighted. We're big fans and I regularly listen to it. Um, so Storega is an independent company that's been established in the last uh, few years and obviously has acquired Pearl Blue Dot, as you said. Uh, its intention is solely to focus on net zero infrastructure, uh, particularly uh, net zero infrastructure that requires the use of the, of the subsurface, so rocks. Um, the management team are all geoscientists by background, and we're keen to deploy those skills to pursue and uh, help solve the net zero challenges. Um, so our main focus is on uh, CCS, so carbon capture and storage, um, and on the value chains that that facilitates, which does take us into some other interesting areas. When we connected actually to talk through the kind of focus for our discussion today, I thought it was a couple of interesting things came up. The, the first of which was, I know CCS has had its struggles from a, a variety of perspectives over the last couple of decades, but one that you referenced was that it's often viewed as a kind of a set of very distinct projects, I think 26 you mentioned at the last count, um, rather than as a kind of more systemic approach to CO2 management. I'm just I'm wondering, can you ex just expand on that a bit? What did that mean? And then, and then we'll kind of get into the flow of our conversation. Absolutely. So... I think most people would accept that CCS is a long way behind where it should be in terms of its, its deployment and rollout. It's not a technically challenging infrastructure class. Um, if you understand rocks and you understand pipelines and, and industrial gas, then um, it's pretty easy to deploy. It's behind the ball by arguably a couple of decades, uh, and that is because government policies around the world have either been not conducive or have flip-flopped and not been consistent enough to encourage it to build out at scale. Um, where you have seen it build out at scale uh, is in North America. As you mentioned, there are 26 projects operational uh, globally for CCS. And um, so it is proven technology, um, uh, but most of it to date has been associated with uh, enhanced oil recovery. So it's typically been, been progressed by oil and gas companies uh, and its intention is to uh, use captured CCS to, uh, which is then injected into the rocks to flush more oil and gas out of the ground. And so for that reason, the earlier generation of CCS projects, not all of them, but the majority of them, certainly those in North America on the whole, have been associated more with uh, increased um, oil production. And, um, uh, and, and it's important, I think, to, to differentiate that generation of CCS from what is to come, because if you look at most uh, forecasts around what is required for net zero, CCS is not a nice to have, it's a must have. And it's a must have at scale. If you take, for example, the IEA forecasts, um, but they're pretty typical, or they're on consensus, we need between two and 3,000 CCS projects globally. So that's up from 26 to two to 3,000. Um, in terms of volumes captured and stored, Today, approximately 40 million tonnes a year are stored um, globally. Now, to give context, the UK emits approximately 350, 360 million tonnes a year of CO2 at the moment. So 
it's a, it's a fraction of what's required. And if you look again at the forecasts, about five gigatons of storage are required by 2050. So that is 120 times more projects than currently exist. Not 10 times, not 100 times, 120 times more projects. And these are a must-have. So firstly, it's, it's big and it's coming and it's low risk and it's needed. But I think also people need to realize this new generation are nothing to do with oil production. They are all about purely storing CO2, removing it from the atmosphere or avoiding it getting into the atmosphere. Uh, so it's a very different sense of purpose. And as a company, um, as an example, the project we are leading, the ACORN project, is exact, an exact example of that. So let, let's sort of dive in then. So we've got that as our background context. We, we understand that we're talking about the kind of the new, new wave, as it were, of CCS. Tell me a bit about what you're seeing in terms of the customer, the customer and the industrial customer. How how are they? What, yeah, what's the kind of the nature of their interest? What's the level of their interest? I know from my perspective, even a year ago, it felt like the people I was talking to, if they lived near an industrial cluster, they felt excited and lucky. If they didn't, they didn't think this had any meaning for them. But it sounds like that's changing a bit. So tell me a bit about what you're seeing in terms of um, accelerated momentum and interest from uh, industrial customers. That is correct. It is accelerating, Alex. Um, the uh, the UK government uh, has um, quite correctly chosen to encourage these clusters to provide um, critical mass and enable these projects to get going. And certainly the um, industrial players and the power players within those clusters are well positioned to use the these emerging projects. But what we are seeing, moreover, are other customers, both around the UK and um, f across Europe, actually, who are interested in finding CCS solutions. It's a quirk of geology, um, but a reality that the vast majority of CCS capacity for Europe is located in just a couple of countries. Under the most recent estimates, 50% of the total storage capacity sits within Norwegian waters, approximately 45% in UK waters, and the remainder is along the northern coast of Europe. And so it's probably no surprise that Norway has got a leading project with uh, Northern Lights Longship. Uh, the UK has got four proposed projects, and the northern coast of Europe has um, uh, what is now, I believe, three projects proposed all of which are, are great, all of which are needed. Um, but I think that most people will accept that the uh, the Norwegian and the UK projects will be the ultimate destination for a lot of CO2, not just from their own countries, but coming cross-border from particularly the EU. And as the EU um, uh, becomes more detailed in its green rebuild plans, um, uh, we're finding that in addition to the UK cust uh, clusters, and potential uh, users of CCS, there is a lot of walk-in inquiries, both to the Norwegian and the UK projects, with big industrial companies and power players across Europe saying, I need a solution from 2025. I can now see the cost of doing nothing. Um, I, so there's an economic imperative, but moreover, there's a license to operate imperative. Um, can you help me solve this? I've got X million tons at this date. So it's quite specific, and um, there are a lot of big industrial players now um, moving to find a solution for five, five or so years out from now. And I think that the zeitgeist has really changed. There were some early movers last, last year, 12, 18 months ago, who were interested in that conversation. 
but now um, it's a much broader church. Are you seeing particular industries kind of stepping up to this, or is it really kind of across the energy-intensive sectors? That's an interesting question. Um, originally, it was the more um, the, the more intense uh, energy sectors, as you say. It was the the heavy industrial plants and the power companies. And typically, you know, if you look at what they're doing there, um, exhaust gases coming up their chimneys are five to twenty-five percent of unit volume, and so there is an extraction. A capture cost of CO2 that, that is uh, pretty well understood um, within a range of, say, 30 to 80 euros a tonne. And um, those players have been, for a while now, able to calculate their, their, their cost of action, their cost of participating in managing carbon rather than solely emitting, which is obviously the default, default position. And I would say that the numbers of those players is ever-increasing, and uh, both in the UK and across Europe. Um, uh, it's it's a it was largely missed and it's a rather boring piece of 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 of, of law. But um, there was recently a change to what's called the London Protocol, which enables the cross border shipping of CO two, um, which which means that it is now legally acceptable uh, to to move that product across borders and across the North Sea. So that facilitates a lot. Um, so those are that's the first, if you like, bucket of customers. But what we are seeing now are. Uh, on more of a global basis, we're seeing um, a different cast of, of potential customers who are keen to both um, sequester their own uh, emissions, um, their scope one and scope two emissions, but potentially also to address scope three emissions, and particularly in much harder to abate areas, such as um, airlines and, uh, and, and some of the technology companies who aren't able to capture their own exhaust gas. They don't have chimneys that are creating their emissions. It's much more dispersed. Um, but they can take advantage of CCS if they hook it up to direct air capture. So the CO2 is captured from the atmosphere, in which case, if you're emitting a unit of CCS in, say, the States, there's no reason why you can't capture it in Scotland. It still achieves the same uh, effect. It's, it's a global uh, process. So you've gone from UK customers to UK plus EU industrial customers. And now I would say the more forward thinking uh, companies that are taking early voluntary commitments to net zero um, are looking on a global basis and looking both at CCS, pure CCS um, and, uh, and direct air capture. As I say, I, I feel like even from my perspective, you know, the kind of the industrials I talked to, that the tone has definitely changed around CD. Well, maybe not the tone, but the expectation and the sense that it is a, a real opportunity for them, not just, again, not just limited to, you know, am I based near Teesside or am I based near Porthos or, or whatever else? Okay, so something else that um, you mentioned, actually, part of your introduction was the idea of this being a new infrastructure class. And I love that as a phrase. It kind of really starts to point towards something systemic changing. So can you just elaborate a little bit on the idea of it as an infrastructure class? I think it's all around joining up the dots. And if I could ask you, Alex, to, to visualise a, a value chain, um, the bottom end of that is the is the, is the offshore storage of CO2. That is the, the taking the aggregated CO2, piping it offshore in normally in repurposed old um, uh, oil or gas production pipelines, which are sitting there ready for reuse, and then injecting it down wells to safely store it for tens plus millions of years, 
in rocks. And these rocks are, are not solid, as people would perceive. Of course, they, they're more like a sponge in, in the sense that they are sandstones, typically. They have pore space. And you're putting the CO2 into that source pore space, where it will sit safely um, uh, for as long as we need it to. Um, in many cases, those sandstones have held um, oil and gas safely for tens of millions of years. So if we put the CO2 in the right location, then you know there's no risk there. So that's the the the, the downstream portion. Of it. If you like, it's it's a pretty unglamorous waste disposal business. If you want to simplify it like that. But it's around joining the dots because most of the early generation of CCS, the particularly in North America, the the carbon was CO2 was captured and it was stored at the same location. Now, what we're seeing in Europe, and I think what we'll see around the world more generally, is the fact that most emitters don't happen to sit next to the right sort of rocks for storage. And so there is a need to join the dots between and get the CO2 from where it is captured, i.e. where it's being generated and emitted, to where it can be safely geologically stored. So that means you need to think not just about a CCS project, and yes, there will be a lot of these. We need them. Goodness knows we need them. But also the infrastructure elements to join the dots. And so let's work from that unglamorous offshore storage, waste disposal, if you like, safe waste disposal. To get the CO2 from where it's emitted to that storage location, you're going to have to move it over considerable distances. Unless you happen to be a cluster right sat at the storage location or a direct air capture plant at the location, which is, makes sense, you're going to need to move it. So you can either move it by pipeline, so reusing old gas pipelines onshore, or you can ship it. Both of these are not challenging. It's just like moving any industrial gas around, around Europe. And, and so that is what will happen. The CO2 will be moved. And if you like, it's a midstream uh, component of infrastructure, either pipes or ships. Over time, there is talk about it going by rail car and by truck as well, as smaller volumes are, are moved from more disparate locations and aggregated. But to start with, the vast majority will be ship or pipe. So that's the midstream. And then the upstream part of this chain is where the CO2 is captured. And it's probably best to think about this in three, three groups. Firstly, it's the industrial and power players, the ones we talked about before, the 30 to 80 euros a ton to scrub it from their chimney exhaust gas. And that's a big amount of the, uh, of the demand, the hard to abate areas that you often touch on in, in your podcast. The second is direct air capture. And this is an area which um, I find fascinating. Uh, 18 months ago, I'd have said it's fascinating, but economically very difficult to justify. Because whilst we're all worried about atmospheric CO2 levels, it's still at the part to, parts per million level, so it's 0.4%. You need to process a lot more air to get a ton of CO2 if you're just sucking it from ambient atmosphere around us than if you're capturing your CO2 from a chimney stack at 5 to 25% unit volume. Now, that notwithstanding, uh, and the higher price points of DAC are typically, you know, you could probably take an estimate of 150 to 350 euros a tonne, depending on the process, but rule of thumb today. Now, despite that higher price point, there are customers for that now. And those customers are the sort of players we talked about before. So it's, it's airlines, tech companies, other voluntarily committing net zero companies. Um, and they're often investing... Or, or becoming customers because they want the technology to progress and roll out at scale because direct air capture will get cheaper. And if it can get down to sub 100 euros a ton, boy, have we got a technology because that at scale can not only 
abate what we are currently producing. If you think about it, it can wind the clock back and undo some of the earlier emissions if, if significant DAC is, direct air capture is put into place. So that's the second bucket. And, and I had previously said, interesting, but not going to happen for a while. I was wrong. It's ready to happen. And, and we will hopefully roll out one of those projects at scale. The third bucket is, is in the manufacture of hydrogen. And as, as your listeners will be aware, there's green and blue hydrogen, both of which we do. Blue hydrogen is the one that will build the hydrogen markets quickest. Um, and, um, you know, the, it's, it's very easy to create hydrogen from natural gas. And um, uh, it, it's already a regular process in, in some refineries and, and pl plenty of other industrial projects. But it doesn't make any sense to do that from a net zero perspective because the byproduct is CO2. However, if you've got a very large store of CO2 and you're not capacity constrained there, why not take the natural gas and turn it into a clean burning hydrogen, which you can then either use locally to where you've created it or blend it into the, into the grid so that the gas that we're now using today in our homes is progressively decarbonized because it's a mix of gas and hydrogen. And so those are the three buckets, really, for using these, these, this CCS system, this, this value chain. It's the industrial and power players. It's separately the direct air capture players. And it's separately the manufacture of blue hydrogen, which will be what really kickstarts the hydrogen economy and enables green to, to plug in as soon as it's ready. So, so uh, think of it as a value chain to join the dots. It's not just about the boring offshore west, you know, um, infrastructure and almost utility-like waste disposal. It's these other elements along the chain to join the dots from emission point to storage point. And the opportunity for a company like Storega is it? Do you is is it a kind of is the goal to own each stage or own, but kind of to host each stage of that or would you take the approach of looking for partnerships and you know joint ventures at each stage what, what do you see at the moment as the the kind of likely business model or, or approach well like any commercial organization we have to um we've got a dual objective here one is to to progress this net zero infrastructure and do as much good as we can and secondly is to make money for shareholders so to a certain extent it depends on where the best returns are to be made but um what we have what is the, the truism here is you can't move the rocks. The rocks are what they are. And if you're developing the rocks and providing the CCS, the storage, you are facilitating all these other businesses. So we are selectively looking at the other businesses and where we feel they are appropriate, we are stepping in uh, to move them forward. There are areas where we are not an expert. There are lots of very good um, uh, technology players working on carbon capture itself. And likewise, on direct air capture itself, we don't need to create our own bespoke technology there. We can be a user of that and a partner of such players. So, for example, on the direct air capture side, we, we publicly, you know, it, it's it's public record. We're, we're partnered with uh, Carbon Engineering uh, to try and bring the first scale application of DAC to, to Europe. Um, uh, and, uh, and on the technology side, we don't need to provide the, the kit that will scrub the CO2 out of an industrial power plant's chimney. But we can certainly partner with those players who are obviously very good and, and ahead of us on that. But where, where we will be active is joining the dots. So, you know, we will be active in DAC. We're likely to be active in, in, in hydrogen, blue and green. And um, we are looking at the, the linking midstream component of how you get the CO2 from where it's emitted to where it's stored. 
And it's important to do that because often from a customer perspective, they just want a solution. They don't want to have to think about how do I scrub it, then how do I move it, then how do I store it? It's much it's much more compelling for them if one entity can go to them and say, look, we understand your challenge, let, let, us, let us just sort it out for you. Okay, so that, that's a good kind of overview in, in those different ways you talked about it, I think, on the infrastructure. One question around that, to, is, is all of that proven or are there still elements of that that are kind of subject to test at scale? Like just give us a flavor for you know, yeah, what's, what's the reality of that value chain right now um, just so that we can get a gauge kind of uh, progress to date. Okay, so the offshore uh, storage, proven, working 26 times around the world. If you understand rocks and you've got infrastructure that you can either build or use, it's not challenging, much less challenging than most of the offshore activity that's been going on previously. Um, so I would say that's low risk and proven. The midstream component, well, it's a, a ship or a pipeline to move an industrial gas. Nothing new there. There will be some specifics around, you know, maybe some specifics around ship design, but that's at the margin. You know, there's nothing challenging there. CO2 is already shipped in a couple of locations in the world. On the upstream side, that is where the most um, uh, technological advance advantages are, advances are happening. Um, it's all operating now. People are capturing CO2. People are running DAC plants, and people are making hydrogen. But as these technologies move forward, you know, version 2.0, version 3.0, version 4.0, they're going to get cheaper. Um, yeah, it's manufacturing at scale, deploying at scale. Uh, so I would say that the area to focus on is not so much technical risk, but technical advances that are happening in the areas of the carbon capture technology, the direct air capture technology, and the reformer technology for hydrogen manufacturing. Those are the those are the areas really where it's all working, and there are multiple um, technical solutions being proposed for each of those. But it's a question of how quickly can their unit costs reduce? Can they follow a an offshore wind or a solar type cost cost reduction profile um, over the next decade or so? And that that kind of takes us into what is always the next question, especially if you talk to industrials, which is, but how soon? Does each stage of that become investable, affordable, economical, whatever other financial <laughs> word you want to apply to it? So tell me, tell me a little from, from what you're seeing, how are these different stages being financed right now? And what what is needed? I think I think that's what would interest me the most here, actually, is what, what's your perspective on what's needed to to both make them investable, but also the kind of structures that might be needed to to secure that investment around these these value chains? Right. So let's put a timeline around this next generation of CCS, certainly in the European context. Start thinking around the, the period of 2024, 2025 and beyond. That's when they'll start to become real and operational. Not all of the projects, but um, the Northern Lights in, in Norway um, will be operational around then. We we hope our ACORN project in Scotland will be, um, it should be the first UK project. We're, we're currently the most advanced and we can be operational from um, the end of 2024 on current schedule. So, so that's when all this starts to become real. Um, the question is, how do we get from where we are today, which is um, detailed, feed studies and engineering design. How can we get from where we are today to this solution for customers by 2024? 
So to date, the funding for these projects has come through a mixture of grant funding, uh, and the grant sources are typically the national government, so government of Norway, uh, UK government, Scottish government, or, or, and the EU. Um, and uh, in many cases, that grant funding has been matched by industrial players' match funding. Um, and that is a pretty common model that's, that's seen, most, seen across all of the European projects. And it's getting them all to this stage. But to get them from a design phase to the more expensive construction phase, you need to go up a gear. Uh, and the, the numbers get one or two orders of magnitude bigger in terms of the capital requirement. Uh, I think of these as each one of these CCS projects as being a one to two billion uh, dollar capex type project as a minimum. Uh, certainly for the first phase to get them moving for, for a generic project in Europe. And so to make that work, um, you need several ingredients. Firstly, you need clear government um, rules around uh, investment frameworks. Um, and um, in a UK context for the offshore CCS, they're going to be treated like a a regulated asset base because there'll be effectively a little local monopoly each one of these these, these projects. Um, so clarity on that, and, and the UK government, uh, as as the Norwegian government as well, have, have moved quite a long way, quite quickly to 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 provide more detail around that, and we expect more more clarity still in 2021, so they can become investable. Um, secondly, a CFD is is being considered in the UK context um, to bridge the gap between. The price an early adopting emitter can pay to use to use this project these projects from 2024-25, and what the break-even price of a project is. Because if you'll appreciate, with any infrastructure asset, um, to start with, you, you, you future-proof it, you build it bigger than your initial volumes, and so that means that you're running a much bigger piece of kit than you need to for the first one or two customers. So the unit costs are quite high for those first customers, and you know that will be the case for for most of these projects. So to make that work, to solve it for both the customer and the investors to build these projects at scale, there will be a CFD that will will make up the slack. Um, and then thirdly, um, it's government uh, contributions. In the UK context, the UK government has stated um, that it will put a billion pounds sterling into, into CCS projects with two intended to be active by the middle of this decade, two at the end of the decade. And so it's a mixture of, 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 um, of, of larger grants, CFDs, and just clarity around the, 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 the investment framework. Once we've got all that, if the ingredients are right, the private sector funds will flow. So just to clarify, the, the kind of larger scale government contributions, that would still be grant-based. There's no suggestion that, I don't know, governments are taking equity stakes or, uh, you know, I don't know, something like that. It's really a kind of, it, this is still kind of proof of concept government supporting creation of industry type grant. I can only partly answer that question, Alex. Um, so clearly, we understand some of it will be grant-based, but... Um, uh, I think that the government is still thinking through whether or not um, there are other ways to deploy that capital. It's all around getting the best um, bang for the buck, if you like, in terms of the build-out and the net zero um, legal requirements of the UK, but also bang for the buck for the UK taxpayer that's, that's effectively providing the, this money. So I think that it, 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 it could also be um, areas like helping with... Um, 
uh, cover some insurance risk and, and 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 underwriting some elements of the project to to make it more financeable. Because you know when you look at these projects, it's a it's a, it's a rate of return and a risk sharing mechanism with government, and some of that risk can be covered in the insurance market. So I expect that it'll be more complicated than just a billion pounds of capital grants. I think that there will be several ways that it can be deployed. Okay. And then beyond that, uh, again, I'm just sort of referencing back to when you and I first spoke, the part of our conversation was actually about the sort of next phase of investors and investments that would be needed. So tell tell me a little bit or just sort of yeah, map that out for me. Obviously, we, we all know, and I'm sure everyone listening to this knows that government is just the first rung. It's the kind of the thing that gets the ball rolling. So it, this is going to need significant uh, institutional and private and other sorts of investment. So what what do you envisage happening and where are you already seeing different types of investors or investments sort of coming into play or being discussed? Well, firstly, let's try and approximately, uh, you know, characterize this. If the UK government is say contributing a billion pounds sterling and, and each cluster is going to be one to two billion pounds to, to get up and running. And it's a bit like jump starting a car on a cold day. You know, you, you, you may need your jump leads to get it going, but once the car's going, it's fine. And I think that that's the analogy I would use here for CCS. We're not looking at something like a nuclear, nuclear plant or even an offshore wind um, project, which would typically need a decade plus or multi-decade in nuclear case of, of government support. Um, uh, what we're looking at is probably a much shorter duration of government support through CFDs or other, um, because these projects um, should go up the gears very quickly. You know, most of them are have, have have quite considerable potential. You know, if we take Acorn as just one example, you know, our initial volumes will probably be our initial sanction would be probably 2 million tonnes, but we can do 20 million tonnes or more. You know, remembering the world is only doing 40 million tonnes in total. That means these European projects are going to be, they're going to be meaningful. Um, and so that needs money. If the UK government's putting a billion pounds in towards it, which would be great if, if that happens, um, each project is between one and a half, sorry, one and a half and two um, billion pounds, then you can see how much more is needed from the private sector. So where does that come from? Well, we're seeing, um, I think, in, uh, quite a change in the zeitgeist, whether it's uh, been accelerated by um, the lockdowns around the world, you know, is, is debatable. I think it probably has. Um, and, and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast will have seen a quickening of things. Um, but certainly there seems to be considerable interest in this emerging asset class. Um, and um, there are a range of potential um, capital providers who are interested, provided the rules of the game are clear and they can see how they can not only do good with their money, but also make some money. And so it's all around whether the U European governments can get the rules of the game clear enough in 2021. If they can, then I think you'll see the infrastructure players stepping in, perhaps some of the sovereign wealth companies um, funds stepping in. Uh, the institutional market stepping in more broadly, uh, pension funds and the like. Um, there is a quite a considerable um, tap of capital now to deliver this infrastructure class, and and it's going to be needed because you know if, if we're going to get two thousand of these projects running by twenty fifty, that's a lot of investment. It's a bit like building um, something of the scale of the global oil and gas business in three decades. So it's it, you know this is material. Um, 
And even if those forecasts are wildly optimistic and it's only half that, that's still a heck of a challenge for us all. But I think that the, the intent is there from the investment funds. We're seeing very encouraging signs. The customers are there for these projects. Uh, it's just a question of getting the, the rules of the game clear enough this year for them to be investable across Europe. Okay. And then just to kind of, as we sort of move towards wrapping up on the podcast, something that I think we would, would be really useful to touch on is for the industrial customers of yours and for the industrials listening, what, what sort of questions, if you're, if you're eyeballing the ACORN project or any other as one of the ways that you're going to deal with your growing CO2 challenge, what questions should they be asking and what timelines and sort of spend should they be preparing themselves for as well? Is that something you could just give it, get a bit of shape to? It's a great question. And, and, and Alex, obviously, every case is, is specific. So it's, it's, I can't, you know, I'm going to oversimplify my answer here because every industrial customer or power customer or, or, or other type of customer is going to have their own needs. But I think it boils down to a couple of simple points, really. I think that clearly any customer is going to need to look at the project. Um, but I think that they will not find material project risk in um, in any of these European projects. Yes, they're, they were, they're being constructed and you need to make sure they're constructed on time and they're ready for your CO2. But it's really around, and, and that's the onus on that is on the developing companies like us, it's not on the customers. But from a customer perspective, it's really around what volumes have you got? When are they available? And how quickly do you want them um, solved for? And I guess, the third part question I would say that to, for them to ask would be, or ask themselves is, do we just want a one-stop shop solution? Do we just want to say, look, here's our chimney, here's our exhaust gas, please fix it for us? Or do they want to be involved in some of the steps of the fixing themselves? Do they want to capture it themselves? Um, do they want to ship it to an aggregation point themselves? So it's it's really just what volumes over what timeline, um, and from what from what specific geographic points? Yeah, because there'll be some industries that are well set up actually with that sort of uh, transportation distribution element, um, albeit with conversion of ships as you've mentioned or, or whatever else. But that that model won't necessarily be new to everybody, of course. And I guess that's interesting. Okay, and then investors, what's the message that you'd like them to hear? Um, especially those newer types of investors that you've alluded to as well. But in general, what's what's the message that investors can sort of take on board? If an investor is, in, is focused on ESG and net zero investments, you need to consider CCS as being absolutely crucial as an ingredient in us getting to net zero. And you need to find ways to back it around the world to roll out at the scale that is required. Otherwise, we are just not going to get there. It, without CCS, it's, you know, the, the other ingredients have to stretch so much that they're at breaking point. It is very crucial that it rolls out at scale. So consider it as least as crucial as wind and solar. And think about it that way and think about how you can be helpful. Now, no investor is going to make a knowingly bad investment. So watch closely for clarity in the rules from the governments, the national governments and from the EU. Um, but as soon as you can see that there is that clarity, please rest assured that the customers are there. 
uh, and and be ready to back these projects at scale. Uh, I think really from the end of this year onwards, because um, there is money to be made, and it will depend on the type of investor as to what part of those value chains they want to get involved in. Some will be more comfortable with regulated rates of return in the waste disposal offshore storage bit. Some will prefer maybe the midstream or the direct air capture. But please think about these joining the dots, these, these linked chains and the various businesses that are facilitated by CCS. Without CCS, you don't have them. But there are some really fascinating businesses that will roll out at scale, like direct air capture, because CCS exists. So please be open-minded to it. Uh, recognize that it's a completely fresh generation of CCS. This is nothing to do with enhanced oil recovery. This is all around net zero. And we think that they're investable and that people can make money out of doing good here. So hopefully we're right. Thank you, Nick. I think I said this to you when we first spoke, but I I love the context for this as, as the kind of infrastructure asset class, you know, rather than just this project, this project, this project, which is maybe it's just me and the way that I've come to it, but I've tended to look at them as, as very distinct entities, very distinct plays, rather than actually this is a this is a system. This is an infrastructure class, it's a system that's emerging. And I think I think you've really helped to to map that out. Thanks, Alex. You're, you're right. It is a system. And of course, everybody has their own projects, which and as do we, and, and, and I wish everybody well with them. This isn't a competition that the world needs, as I've said a couple of times now, 2,000 plus of these projects for us to get there. We all need to put our shoulders behind the wheel, whether we are investors to back this, whether we are project development companies like we are, whether we are customers. Um, and it, it, it will get us there. But um, but it does need all those stakeholders to um, to think of it as a system and to try and find out how they can back it and, and make money from it. Well, again, thank you and uh, take care during the remainder of our UK lockdown. I hope you and your team and your family stay well. And thanks again, Nick. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Look after yourself. And um, let's hope those pubs open again soon. <laughs>